Hello and welcome everyone. This is the Ace in the Wild podcast. I am Desi, your host, and I return to you now after an extended period. I know I was saying I was going to be publishing these every couple of weeks, but I was on vacation, I got swamped with work, and real life kind of lambasted me, but here I am. For this episode, I wanted to try something new, and that is a book review of sorts. And this book was published in 1992. It was extremely influential at the time, referenced many times. The author was on many shows. I think he was on like Oprah, completely groundbreaking at the time. And this book is Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. This was a very, very popular book, very well reviewed, very influential at the time. And even my friends in their 30s and some of my younger friends even have referenced this book in trying to understand the opposite sex and understand gender dynamics, as well as conflict resolution. And just for a bit of context, the author is named John Gray. He published this book because he was having arguments with his wife and he wanted to better understand the thought presses of women and also write this book so women could understand men better. So I think his intentions were pretty positive at the time. This was published in 1992, as I said before, and at this time, divorce rates, I believe, were at an all-time high. So there was huge issues. 1990s were a very transitional time. The internet was coming out third wave feminism and whatnot, all that was in full swing. But also at the same time, this was a very conservative era in terms of politics. You had the Reagan administration, the Bush administration, and you had these pillars of masculinity. There was not a lot of queer representation. It was a burgeoning era and women were really finding that they didn't have to put up with the BS anymore. They didn't have to stay in these unhappy relationships. They were in an era of empowerment and they were leaving. And by and large, they were the ones initiating the majority of the divorces. This was also the baby boomer era. A lot of the baby boomers are entering their 30s and 40s at this time, starting to really get their careers established. And the thing is, is the men were not really taught by their parents or their fathers, especially. The patriarchy was very prominent, even more so than it is today. And the men were not taught to express themselves properly, to be sensitive to the needs of others, just sort of to be in this dog-eat-dog world and not really care, try to get ahead and make a bunch of money, and everything else will fall into place after that. And that still exists today. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but back then it was much more prevalent. Like this is almost 30, this is actually over 30 years ago. Man, I'm getting old. I was four years old when this book was made. Definitely a much different time than today. The 90s were also seen as sort of a nostalgic period for people in my generation, being the millennials, as sort of the high mark of standard of living, could buy a house relatively cheaply, the internet was coming out, and all these amazing games came out in the 90s, video games too. So it was a good era to be a child, definitely. The 90s, I have very fond memories of the 90s, but I'm completely going off the rails again. So I'm going to try to reel it back in. As of today, the book has a lot of mixed reviews. There's a lot of issues. It did not age well. I'm going to address this later. This book does not address a lot of issues that are prevalent today, like gender dynamics, non-binary, queer issues, that much. It's just men and women and how men and women work together and get along better. Without further ado, let's get started on the first story in the book. It starts out with the author talking about an argument he had with his wife over pain pills after their first child was born. 
The woman did not ask for the pain pills from the husband. He did not get them accordingly. And he got home and she was upset with him. And he's just like, well, what the hell? You didn't tell me. How can you be mad at me when you didn't tell me? And it's, you know, you're so loving and caring, great to be around. And you're just absolutely miserable sometimes. I don't understand. I don't like this. I'm going to leave for a bit. And she just is like, you know what? You're a fair weather friend. You only appreciate me at my best. You don't support me at my worst. An argument ensued. And that was the primary motivation for him to write this book and understand his relationship better. And then we go into part one. And here's just some of the general ideas that I wrote down. Men and women are supposed to be different. This is emphasized many times in this book. I feel like this is a list of stereotypes, and those of you listening, it probably sounds like that, and maybe that's why nowadays, in hindsight 2020, this book is seen as uh, a bit outdated and problematic. One of these stereotypes is that A, men offer solutions and invalidate feelings, and on the flip side, women offer unsolicited advice and direction. Men, when they get upset, tend to pull away, and they feel motivated when they are needed. On the flip side, women express themselves and want to talk about things, and they are motivated when they are cherished. And it's funny with the offering unsolicited advice, because my family, my dad's side, have a lot of men in there, and they are notorious for offering unsolicited advice. So this is not just something that women do. This is something that men do as well, especially in my family. Men pulling away when upset. This is something that both genders do. I think that maybe in 2023, our current date, all genders pull away when upset. Maybe this wasn't the case back then. Men offering solutions and invalidating feelings. I feel like that's a complaint that's still levied today. A phrase that I hear all the time is the facts don't care about your feelings. This is something that's on the internet boards. It's something that incels in the MGTOW community loves to use. So it's almost like MGTOWs. <laughs> that whole community is a uh, remnant of the prehistoric man of the 1990s. And for some more stereotypes, women have shifts of feelings that fluctuate in terms of affection and warmth. This is where I think a lot of modern criticism starts in this book, as if it hasn't already. But it's like women are not consistent, they fluctuate, it's almost like they're unreliable and inconsistent. And this is a very pervasive stereotype. I don't think the author is meaning it to be that way, but it's trying to be like, hey, women are, don't think the same way as you do, men, so you have to expect some chips and fluctuations and not get triggered when this happens. A stereotype for men is that they are interested in things and power, things of power, and achieving goals by himself. This is something that's taught in the business world. And as time has progressed, I think that this is not just men, but people in general in that corporate world. This, I think, is the nurture versus nature aspect of society. You have to remember that in the early 90s, there was still very much a glass ceiling in place. There still is a glass ceiling, but it was much, much, much more pervasive and apparent. Most of the top positions and companies were held by men. And this obsession with power and objects, ways of expressing affluence, as time has gone on, this has become a rich person thing and a corporate thing rather than a gender thing, at least in my opinion. And as we progress further into the book, we get into gender dynamics and how men and women interact with each other. And a mistake that women make, according to the author, is, is they offer a man's unsolicited advice, and the man assumes that she is doing that because she thinks him incompetent. And I have to kind of agree with him here. 
as much as it might disappoint some of my dear listeners. This is where the meme of men not wanting to ask for directions come from. I've made this mistake before too, of where I'm driving or where I'm... <laughs> I'm going to go off on a tangent here. So I was on a camping trip with my dear friends, and we had gotten some wine bottles and some beer, and I had no bottle opener. And I was mad at myself, like, how can I forget this? And we were at a campsite, so there was no way to buy one. And instead of, like, going to the people next to us and asking, like, hey, do you have a can opener? I mean, I could have easily found one. I was like, you know what? I'm going to improvise. I'm going to MacGyver a solution to open these beer bottles. And so after an hour of trying various things, including water bottles, I tried all these tricks that my cousins taught me. I found a screwdriver. And in my frustration, I just set it next to one of the camp tables and I put the bottom of the screwdriver against the camp table and I I put the head of the screwdriver up against the lid of the beer bottle and I popped it open that way. So rather than just asking for a can opener, I MacGyvered my way into finding one and my friend was just like, oh my God, you were such a man, just go and ask for help. And I was so happy with myself about finding this kind of practical solution instead of having to go and ask somebody and again i was just like oh well i don't want to ask somebody because that just means i'm an idiot it's the same thing as like not asking for directions it's men just assume if they ask for directions the person they're with is going to think them incompetent so good job john gray for (laughs) nailing this one on the head another dynamic that author brings up is when that women are venting to their men Instead of listening and validating feelings, men put on their quote-unquote Mr. Fix-It hat, offer solutions to the problem, and then when the women keep rambling on or going on, the men tend to get upset like, hey, I've offered you a solution. Why are you still talking about this? Like, what are you doing? And the woman gets upset because her feelings are not being validated, and an argument starts. This is something that has happened with my parents. So this is something that is I think this is older generations though of men just being like oh well you don't talk about feelings it's a sign of weakness I think this is the patriarchy for me I'm very expressive and I like to talk about things and when I'm upset I like to vent and I have noticed some of my male friends are just like oh why don't you do this why don't you do this why are you still talking about this and I just I tend to get very upset so definitely not something that I can relate to personally Also, when somebody is expressing when they're upset, I tend to sit back and want to listen. And for me, it's an honor when somebody does this because it means they're putting trust in me. They're opening themselves up to me to express like, hey, I'm upset and I'm so glad to have you help me and listen to me and validate my feelings. So this is something that I would not say is particularly accurate nowadays, but it does happen with the older generations and with some couples. And now we get into what women value. Women value love, communications, beauty, and relationship. The love and communication part and the relationships part, sure, but the beauty part, I think that that's a bit antiquated. Women were taught like in the 50s and 60s and the boomer generation or whatever, like, oh, well, you need to be presentable at all times. You need to dress a certain way. You need to smile. You need to be always in a position to be courting a man if you're single. You need to start a family. And in order to do that, you need to be a perfect little wife or whatever. So this is something that's antiquated. While in general, I would say it is true that women tend to spend more time like with cosmetics, skincare, taking better care of themselves, 
putting on makeup, that sort of thing. I definitely would say that this is something of a learned response. Men are just like, okay, we'll dress in a nice shirt and don't wear clothes that are dirty and you're good to go. And this kind of is in contrast with men, as I mentioned earlier, valuing things of power and prestige and accomplishing things by themselves and impressing people. And I don't want to get too far into this because I've kind of already addressed it. I think that this is a bit antiquated is that there's plenty of men, plenty of non-binary people. And this is the thing with the book, is it only addresses men and women. It doesn't... Gender issues at this time were basically unheard of. The queer community was still burgeoning at this time and still very oppressed. So the author didn't have a lot of source material to work with and, quite frankly, probably didn't know anything about, like, queer relationships or transgender issues. Another thing the author mentioned is that women have a sense of self that is defined through feelings. This, again, is one of those damaging stereotypes that women vacillate, women are not consistent, they're just like waves. He uses that term exactly, that phrase exactly, that women are like waves. They can be high, they can be low, there's no really, they're always vacillating. And this is why he gets a lot of hate nowadays when they say, Mr. Gray, you were talking out of Uranus, <laughs> that was one of the quotes, is because it's like, oh, all women are this way, they're inconsistent, there's no steadiness to them. Men, on the other hand, are goal versus relationship orientated. It's almost like John Gray is saying like, oh, men are more suited for the business world and the ruthless dog-eat-dog -dog, and women just can't hang it because they're not, I don't know, maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Men are just naturally better at being corporate predators and just being goal-orientated and not caring about people and just like shoving everybody under else under the bus so they can get ahead. I did want to talk some more about the conception that men don't ask for help and whenever they receive any unsolicited advice they assume it's because the other person thinks they are incompetent. You know this is the reason why I think a lot of men never form very close connections. It's something I've experienced in the past with my friends that are men. It's just like whenever I want to address something that bothers me about our relationship I'm like, hey, you know, I enjoy spending time with you and all that, but you never call me. When I want to talk about things that are heavy, you just kind of zone out and detach. You never really listen to me. You just are always like, oh, well, why don't you do this and stop complaining? One of my friends has the annoying habit of being like, oh, well, I know you and this isn't true. Stop making things up. And a lot of the times after these arguments, rather than try to reconcile and make up these people have just drifted away and i don't talk to them for months or never talk to them again i've lost friends this way hello there this is your friendly neighborhood desi with a late edit i was nearing the end of the editing process and i just wanted to bring something up and this pertains directly to the quality of men's relationships. A lot of men have a various degree of acquaintances can have a huge social network and whatnot However, I would say that there's a significant lack of depth to these relationships. When we think of men getting together, usually it's at a bar or at a social event coordinated by their wives, like a, like a birthday party or something like that. One specific example of one of these interactions is I was meeting with family friends for a holiday party, and this guy who is the husband of somebody I know and someone I've had numerous social interactions with 
instead of having a conversation about like his kids, what he's, where he's been traveling, all the fun stuff he does, he just showed me his stock profile and tried to make a conversation that way, which really kind of turned me off. When you think of women getting together, they go shopping, they go to the zoo, they do stuff with the kids. There's a lot of sitting down and talking, having a glass of wine. I feel like there's a lot more depth and meaning and character to the relationships that women have with each other than men have with each other. And this is kind of touched on in the book, but I'm kind of bringing this up anecdotally. In my life, I have had one truly meaningful relationship with another male where I was able to sit down, have serious conversations, talk about metaphysical issues, talk about philosophy, and really open my heart. And even when this man got into a relationship with his fiance, they're going to be married at the end of this month, I still was able to maintain that. But other than that, every relationship that I've had with a male has been pretty shallow, and they've been, for the most part, pretty fair-weather friends and don't really put the requisite effort into maintaining it. And I think of my dad... Outside of one or two friends, his entire social network has evaporated. These people are just drinking buddies. Also, he went through surgery, so he can't really golf anymore. And a lot of his friends are from golf. And now that he can't golf, they disappeared. That is the case for my boss. And that is the case for, I would say, the majority of men in this society. And yet they wonder why they have trouble maintaining serious relationships with their wife. Because their wife or their girlfriend or their partner is the only one who they've actually been able to open up with and have any sort of meaningful relationship with. Anyways, that's all I wanted to say on that for now. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Men are either afraid or unwilling to engage on a deeper level in a lot of things. They are not taught the appropriate ways to resolve conflicts and build stronger, more meaningful friendships. Their way of resolving conflict is just to detach, walk away, and turn their back. And obviously, I'm not saying all men are like this. I know plenty of men who are not like this. Just when I was growing up and when I had my connections with my fellow men, they were just really flaky on the emotional level. And this... Ironically enough, is the complaint that women have in this book about men is the complaint that I have about men, at least one aspect. And strangely enough, men are always the ones trying to salvage these relationships because these women are just like, okay, I'm tired of this. This person is not emotionally available. He's insensitive. He doesn't take my advice. He's defensive all the time. And I've just had enough and I want out. And the men are like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have that. And women are just like, well, you're not available. Why do you why are you so adamant about trying to keep this relationship together when you put nothing in and you're not available for me? They don't see the cues and it's like they don't care about their partner. And the reason for this is that men need to pull away like a rubber band and they come back, spring back, and they also need to retreat in what the author calls their man caves. And this is an interesting way to look at it. It's almost like they have emotional overload. They can't process and handle things, so they retreat. They need to sit, think, and tinker in order to come back to a conclusion, and then they will spring back to their partners. This meeting to detach can often happen when women are in need of their man the most, when they're feeling vulnerable, when they need support, and the men just are not 
capable or don't have the bandwidth to give it. And in the past years, you know, the Victorian era and the medieval era, women were just told to suck up and deal and smile when this is happening. But in this era, it's like, okay, well, my partner is not making me happy. I'm unhappy in this relationship. I want to leave. I'm going to get a divorce because this person isn't right for me. And, you know, I've seen this a lot with people that I've interacted with. One of my cousins was married to a man who was very um, nice enough guy, but very emotionally indifferent, cold, didn't smile a lot, not extremely personable. I know that's a loaded term in a lot of ways, but she was just like, I can't be with this person anymore. You know, he brought a lot of financial stability at the time. And he was a decent father figure, but he's just emotionally cold and detached. And I don't have a connection with him. I'm going to seek a divorce. And of course, as soon as that happens, he's like, oh, I'm going to change. I'm going to be better support. I don't want this to happen. And this has happened to one of my best friends. She was in a situation where she just was not happy with the relationship anymore. And it turns out the man she was married to was not happy with it either. But yet he was the one trying to salvage it and got angry when the therapist they were with couldn't save the relationship. So it's like these men are afraid to be alone, but then afraid to commit and be a good partner and be sensitive to the emotions and feelings of their partner when they're in the relationship. So it's a very uh, awkward position for them to be in. And a lot of this makes me think that people get married when they're young. Like I feel like in a lot of relationships, you have like a four month honeymoon period when you're first with the person you just think they're the cat's meow they're the best thing ever and then a couple months into it you start to see the red flags and at the time it's like well everything else is going so well so i'm just gonna ignore that in a year in like you've gone through a few arguments or whatever but you're like okay this is still peachy keen you know i don't have any better options so i'm just gonna settle down and marry with this person and it's not until years later that you realize you made the wrong choice and men i feel like are so desperate to be in a relationship to not be alone because their relationships with other men quite frankly are quite shallow they don't have any other emotional confidence except for the person they're with or the woman they're with i have multiple stories of men that the only person they've been able to connect with on any sort of emotional level and have any sort of serious metaphysical or whatever sort of conversation with is the woman they're married to they're like their only real friend and it's also important to point out that a lot of times these men their only social network is through their partner and when that goes away they're basically stranded and this is where the meme of like oh well the man gets divorced the woman takes all the friends away and the man's just left in the doghouse living out of his car or whatever while the woman keeps all the social connections and everything else. And this, I think, is that men just are not taught. A lot of them are just not adept at pursuing meaningful relationships. Like in my experiences, when men have conflict, rather than try to resolve these conflicts, they just put up walls and the relationship breaks like iron and brittle. It just breaks and falls apart. I don't think that men are particularly adept at conflict resolution other than just throwing around insults and trying to put the other person down or, of course, physical altercations. And instead of being able to process things, a lot of the times they need to retreat and go into their quote-unquote caves, as Gray puts it. The women in this position are just like, hey, I need support from my partner and my partner is withdrawn, and that's really hard. So I feel like this book is really hit or miss. Like, I think the modern criticism comes from a modern lens. Men need approval, women need validation. I think that's true in a lot of cases. 
For me personally, approval's nice, but being validated and having my emotions when I'm upset, being like, hey, I'm angry about someone to say, like, I understand why you're angry, that's more important than getting a pat on the back for me. Another pervasive stereotype that I wanted to point out now that I'm sort of getting to the end of the book, the book review part, is that women expect men to anticipate needs and don't feel like they have they need to ask a man for something. This is very much a nail in the head sort of situation for my parents. Let's say my dad gets home from work, he comes into the kitchen and there's a stack of dirty dishes that is overflowing out into the counter area and instead of offering to help or starting to clean the dishes, my dad just goes down to the lake and has a cigarette and a glass of wine. And when he gets back, my mom is just like, hey, didn't you see all these dirty dishes? I shouldn't have to ask you to help out. So good job, John Gray, for like <laughs> predicting my, uh, or accurately explaining my parents' interaction at times. This is something that I used to be kind of bad at, but if I'm in the general area and I see that dishes need to be done or that trash needs to be emptied and like I have the presence of mind to be looking around, sometimes that can be very tunnel vision. I just start doing it, no questions asked, because it needs to be done. This is one of those situations where it's, a, it's active awareness, like, hey, you need to be aware of your surroundings. There's things that need to be done around the house. Also, like, a lot of men are under the impression that this is a woman's responsibility to clean the house. I pay the bills. Very much a patriarchal thing. Like, the trash needs to be taken out. This is... These sorts of things actually do lead to divorce. Just consistently happening again and again and again. Because women... It really burns a woman out when they need to ask their man to do these things. When they feel like, you know what, if he really cared about me, he would do this. I shouldn't have to ask. So I still think that this is relevant to this day, but I don't think it's necessarily relevant to women and men. It's relevant to any relationship. I think this is a personality thing rather than a gender thing at this point. Just sort of a concluding thought from the book review portion of this episode is that when a woman asks a man to do something, she needs to anticipate what's called the grumbles. Like, honey, can you take out the trash? Honey, can you do the dishes? Honey, can you sweep the floors? It's she needs to expect him to grumble and mumble about it. And it's kind of funny how he brushes this under the rug real quick before he concludes because this bothers a lot of people. Another thing that happens is sighing. I used to do this all the time when I was a kid when I get asked to do things and it would bother my mom to no end. Like, you should be happy to do this. We cover your food and bills. Stop sighing and being a brat. But in this particular case, it's just like, oh, well, your man's going to grumble whenever you ask him to do something and you just need to suck it up, I guess. The author says that this is like men's way of coping with dealing with something unpleasant. And also like men tend to do this when they realize, oh, well, I should have known to do this. My woman thinks I'm incompetent now. I'm upset. This is their way of coping is to grumble and mumble. So I do think that that's kind of an interesting way for him to end the book. And now that we've gone over the book, I just wanted to make some general conclusions. I will say as a general pro for this book that it covers and acknowledges how men are just not adequately supporting their partners. This is very much why there was a huge divorce spike during this era. And I keep circling back to it, but men, because of their emotional inability to connect, 
because of gender norms, nature, nurture, whatever you want to call it, are the leading causes of all these divorces. At least I think it's 70, 30 percent or whatever of women initiating divorces. And then men, once they realize they're going to lose their social network and basically their only confidants are just like, whoa, 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 we need to fix this. I'll go to therapy. I'll stop being a jerk or start paying attention or whatever. So I think in terms of 1992, this was addressed fairly well, and that's why this book had a great deal of success, and that's why John Gray was an acclaimed author at that time. But it's 2023 now, and times are different. And now for some of the issues that I have with this book. The differences between the two partners is generally assigned to sex and gender, and not to cultural norms, the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, sort of the nature-nurture controversy. I strongly believe that the causes for all these divorces and the problems that are in relationships at this time are due to overriding cultural norms. This sort of boys-will-be-boys attitude, don't be sensitive, don't be emotionally available, that's what women do, women are weak. Women are unstable, women vacillate, and this is not really helped by John Gray saying that women are like waves, that women are have low self-esteem at times, and high self-esteem, there's no consistency, and they're always vacillating, that they're unstable. This, I don't think, is meant to be harmful by the author, but it is very outdated, and it just kind of shows that he is a product of his times, even though he is a doctor and supposedly one of the enlightened people of during this time. This book also assumes that men are incompetent at handling and interpreting women's cues and signs by nature. They are not capable. They are from Mars. They are not capable of understanding women. They are not capable of understanding social cues because they just have like blinders on. And rather than saying, well, this is because men are raised to be this certain way by their elder figures, their parents, and this is what society encourages men to be, the book just indicates, well, men are from Mars, and thus they're this way, and it can't be helped. Going along this a little further, men are seen as indifferent. They shouldn't be indifferent. They should be more attentive. This is a personality issue, in my opinion. I feel like the author likes to paint with a very broad brush at times. I just, the thing that bothers me most about this book is how everything is assigned to gender and sex and not to personality. And this is kind of addressed at the beginning of the book, even though it's <laughs> it's not really addressed thereafter, that the author says, we are individuals with unique experiences. Some factors may be more true than for others. Like, golf clap for mentioning that, but your book literally mentions it mentions it in one little sentence and then fails to bring it up again. And just sort of a final thought is that this book is completely out of touch in 2023 in a lot of cases, and it does not address, like, homosexual relationships, transgender relationships, or any sort of queer topics. Again, this is 1992. Queer people were very oppressed at this time. There was active legislation. There was violence. There wasn't a lot of protection for these communities at this time, and religious zealotry, of course, saw queer people as evil and bad, and there wasn't a huge support system for them. And queer relationships are very much, at this time, a fringe thing, even though we make up 6 to 8% of the population, including at this time, but this was 1992, society was much different, and... It's easy to say, in hindsight 2020, that the author should have been more aware of these things. 
but it's the issue of was he a product of his generation or was he deliberately turning a blind eye? One of my favorite books, The Wheel of Time, was published around this, this same time period. And the author, Robert Jordan, was very much, very uh, left-leaning and enlightened for his time. A good chunk of his protagonists were female. In fact, the most powerful characters in this book were female. And I believe that he wanted to have like same-sex relationships in his books and all these other dynamics, but he simply couldn't do that because at the time he wouldn't have sold any copies because no publisher would have touched it and his work wouldn't be there for all of us to enjoy i will say that wheel of time my community my book community has a large proportion of queer people probably a quarter so more so than than the average population demographic but there wasn't really any homosexual relationships until later times when they were implemented in the books because it was more popular at that time and if john gray would have talked about homo homosexual relationships in this book would it have been a success would it have been published or have people turned away so it's really tough I feel like at this time, the only sort of queer representation is just fringe art. Because unless you're in that community at that time, you're not going to get any representation in mainstream media. You're just seen as deviant. Or remember, this is right after the Reagan administration. You're seen as sinful and corrupt. So at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, was John Gray at fault here or was he merely a product of his time i think after reading this book twice i can comfortably say that he had good intentions going into this it's just these thoughts and these stereotypes did not age well and as a concluding thought i want to bring something up that i've said multiple times to my friends and talked to my therapists about i am an asexual non-binary person who suffers from depression now I can have some level of commiseration from people. I have a place in the queer community, I have support networks, and I have very good friends who validate my existence and my feelings, which I am eternally grateful for. 500 years ago, the most enlightened person, the alchemist, the town alchemist, or whatever, the cleric, the healer that I would gone to with these would have leached me and probably exercised me and assumed I was harboring demons. My asexuality would have been attributed to some chemical imbalance. They might have given me saltpeter, some sort of chemical, because I was not clearly functioning as a man should. Oh, as a man should, as a non-binary person, if I said that I had an identity that was not man or woman, uh, maybe they would have burned me at the stake. Who knows? It's easy to look back with a modern lens and say that these people were wrong, they were bigoted, they were corrupt, but four or five hundred years ago there were still witch trials and people being burned at the stake, or people were being sacrificed to the gods for a good harvest. Two thousand years ago people were being crucified actively. So just take that into consideration when you read this book. There are things that still ring true, there are things that are just completely outdated, and there are a lot of issues that are not addressed. But having said all that, I think I'm going to wrap up here. Thank you all so much for listening. I do apologize about the delay, but life happens. I was in Utah. I have pictures on my Instagram at DesiM, D-E-S-Z-I underscore M. Look me up. Look at my pretty photos. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day, a wonderful rest of your week, and I will see you on the next one. Peace.